Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. From the Radiant Church, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you can join us today from wherever you're watching listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. If you felt that short form online, as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that is listed. We're in the second week of a teaching series that we're calling Kings and Kingdoms, featuring lessons and takeaways from the kings and kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Now, we started last time by taking a look at one of the biggest scandals of all time, the affair between King David and Bathsheba. And we learned how destructive our selfish desires can be. They give birth to sin, which can go scream scorched earth in our lives, right? The more King David tried to cover up his sin, the bigger the mess he made. The more people he hurt, the greater the destruction he brought. We need to remember that we serve under the leadership of God Almighty, and we need to be open to accountability in our lives so we don't follow a similar destructive path in our lives the same way that King David did in this instance. Now, this scandal David brought on himself has consequences. In fact, God forgives him, but the result is that two of his sons lead insurrections against him. It's another son that David has with Bathsheba named Solomon, who becomes his successor. Now, David's going to bring Israel into its golden age, but Solomon's going to reign during that entire era, and he gets to enjoy the height of peace and prosperity. He rules as a king for 40 years. He's widely considered one of the greatest men ever to live. He built the first temple in Jerusalem. He wrote over 3,000 proverbs and wise sayings, over a thousand songs. People came from all over the world to learn from him. But as Solomon progressed in his age, he turned away from the Lord. And so what God did was he promised to rip the kingdom apart when he died and allow one tribe, later becomes two because Benjamin joins in, to be ruled by David's line. And this happens when Solomon's son Rehoboam is crowned king of Israel. I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. Now, Shechem is where David had been accepted by the northern tribes, of which there were ten northern tribes, okay, as the king of Israel. Solomon didn't make the trip because he actually, you know, ruled with David as a co-regent shortly before his death. So that transition from David to Solomon is seamless. That's not the case with Rehoboam, though. He would have to get the northern tribes' approval and submission before he would really be able to claim him, you know, being king of Israel, all of Israel. So verse number two, when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he returned from Egypt. Uh, he had fled Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father is a harsh master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and the heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and we'll be your loyal subjects. So Rehoboam is going to ask for three days to think this over. He first goes to the men who served his father, King Solomon, and he asks for their advice. And they say, well, hey, if you, if you serve the people, they're always going to serve you. That's pretty good advice, right? But Rehoboam's not so sure. So he asks his friends what they think 
he should do. And their response is to make the burden of the people heavier. Solomon had heavy taxes he levied on the people. He conscripted forced labor and military service from the people near the end of his life. He was actually pretty unpopular at the time of his death. So what's the advice of these friends to Rehoboam? Well, double down, of course, right? You know, if something's not working and you double down, what do you think's gonna happen? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happens next. Look at verse number 15. So the king paid no attention to the people. I would call this an unwise and foolish move, wouldn't you? This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. And when all of Israel realized the king refused to listen to them, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David! We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. Now, from this point forward, Israel's no longer going to be united. There's going to be 10 northern tribes that make up the kingdom of Israel, and there'll be two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, who make up the kingdom of Judah. And so instead of exercising humility so he could you know, be open to godly wisdom, Rehoboam's foolish decision to seek the advice of his friends actually destroys an entire kingdom. Now, all sorts of people claim to have wisdom in our world today, but real wisdom, true wisdom, only comes from God. I like how James talks about wisdom. We're going to camp in James 3 here today. He puts it like this, chapter 3, verse 13. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life and doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Now, the Hebrew word for wisdom refers to cultivating a skill in a living. You, you have a unique skill for living that's been developed or acquired or even given to you by God. So how do you know if someone's living in a wise manner? Well, you, you know, you watch how people react in uncertain and, and chaotic times. When everybody else is going in one direction or they're panicking, the person with wisdom is handling things differently. There's, there's, there's a peace, there's an assurance they have because they aren't operating on their own skills. They're operating in God's spirit and in God's power. So James says, if we're wise and we understand God's ways, we'll prove it by living with honor and humility, which comes directly from the Lord's wisdom. And we get that wisdom when we follow Jesus. Now, following Jesus is not about trying a few things here and there and hoping they pan out. It's not working harder. It's not memorizing scripture. It's not even showing up at church. It's living a transformed life. God transforms you to the point where you don't even recognize who you are today from who you once were. And, and by the way, that's, that's a good thing. Contrast that this little snippet here in Rehoboam's life. You know, if you read about his story in Scripture, you'll see that he lived with a lot of pride. He sought out earthly wisdom, and there was change that came with that, but it was foolish change, right? Uh, because wisdom does bring change, but it was foolish and destructive. But God's wisdom, well, that will change you. But, but not in a way which makes you better than everybody else. God's wisdom changes you and makes you better than you. And so if you don't allow God to change your heart, you're just going to end up getting the same earthly wisdom and experience that everybody else gets. And so James is going to shed some light on what this looks like in the next few verses, what it means to have earthly wisdom. Look at verse 14. If you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, look at this, even demonic. 
For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, hello Rehoboam, right? There you're going to find disorder and evil of every kind. What happens to Israel in the story? Disorder, right? If you keep reading the story, evil erupts in both Israel and Judah. So earthly wisdom, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. The reality is if you're searching, you're going to discover this truth for yourself because you're going to come to a place where you realize that living the way you've been living and doing things you've been doing, well, they're just not working and they're never going to work. And once you have the humility to admit that, you can get to a place where you're open to God's wisdom. And as James 1.5 says, God is generous and he'll generously give that wisdom to anybody who asks. So what do the wise have then? Well, I'd like to quickly give you some traits that God's wisdom has that James is going to lay out for us. If you want to be wise, if you want to avoid the foolishness that Rehoboam got himself into and so many others have gotten themselves into, then listen to what James says here, because in these next two verses lie the six traits that godly wisdom possesses. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving and gentle at times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What do the wise have? Well, the wise, first of all, have a pure heart. Godly wisdom is pure. Now, if you don't get this one right here, you're not going to get the next five. So everything stems from allowing God to purify your heart and your life. Now, I know whenever we hear the word pure, like we think of perfection typically, right? We can't achieve perfection in this life, though. And honestly, that's not the way to really view purity. Rather, purity is an attitude. It says, God, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to live this way. I want to be just like you. Titus 1.15 says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. First John 5 goes a little bit further. He says that when we love the Lord, God's commands aren't even a burden to us. Why? Because we, we desire God. And that's why Jesus can say in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the what? Pure in heart for they'll see God. If something isn't pure, it's contaminated. Titus 1.15 alluded to that. If God is, or, I'm sorry, if gold is 99% pure, then it's not pure. It still has contaminants in it. So how do you get rid of the unwanted junk? Well, you, know, you, you put the precious metals through a purification process. It's melted down under extreme heat. The contaminants are filtered out. And at the end of this process, you have pure gold. Now, what does God do to purify our hearts and our lives? Well, He puts us through a process. That's right. He, we, we call it frustration, the valley difficulties, but God calls it testing. Time and time again, God puts us to the test. And with each test we encounter, He filters more junk out of our lives. He makes us more pure. Rehoboam failed his test. And at times we're all going to fail, but it doesn't stop God from continuing the process because on the other side is a whole, complete, and purified life. Well, here's the second trait. The wise love peace. 
People who are wise don't like conflict and, con and, and contention. Uh, they, they love peace. There's a sharp contrast in the world that we're living in now, right? Because if any of you follow me on social media, I'm like, you're going to notice I don't post a whole lot. Maybe some photos of my kids, sports updates. I used to post all the time and insert a lot of humor. I'm, I'm pretty satirical. That's kind of how I lean. But over the last few years, people would just go on the attack. They would take everything, literally. I'd get text messages and, and phone calls about what I put out there and I was an equal opportunity offender nobody was ever happy with me so that, that was good but I just changed my habits why because I want peace man like I, I'm not going to deal with all this infighting our culture has become deeply contrarian and at times I think many people are contrarian just for the sake of being different but you can't live a life full of wisdom and constantly argue and fight and bicker with people you can't be defensive and adversarial James argues in the first part of the letter that human anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. That's from chapter 1, verse 20. Proverbs puts it like this. A wise man controls his temper. He knows an anger causes mistakes. Look at uh, 23. I love the message version of this one. It's a mark of what? Of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. You know what the common denominator is in all the fights you've ever been in? <laughs> it, it's you, yeah. It's you. It's, it's me for the ones I've been in. We're in every argument. We're in every conflict we've ever had. So don't be quick to argue and oppose people. We'll have the mindset that says conflicts can't continue with my participation. So I'm going to choose to live wisely and I'm going to pursue peace. Number three, the wise consider it. Consider it. James says to be gentle at all times. There's another way of saying be considerate. You know what considerate, R-A-T-E, you know, you know what that means. This is going to blow your mind, okay? Considerate means to consider it. <laughs> I know, you, you sound really impressed, right? Um, what James is getting at is don't be the person who thinks they always know. Like, don't be a know-it-all. Make an attempt to understand people. Have the attitude that says, I've never thought of it like that. Can you imagine how different our marriages and politics, our friendships, how everything would be if we just practice that more? Romans 15 says this, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like, like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what's right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. Is that not true? As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. John Maxwell gave this piece of advice once, and, and um, of course, he's given many pieces of advice, but this one stood out to me. He says, give your thoughts a break, because you already think them. Okay? Put others ahead of yourself. Consider them. Consider their position. Consider how consequences affect them. Rehoboam's foolishness did not take that into account. And it cost him his kingdom when it didn't have to. The fourth trait, the wise are willing to yield. When you're yielding, you're, you're willing to go. You know, you got a plan, you got that juice, like you're ready to rock and roll. But instead of just taking off, you get some wisdom. You consider other people. You realize... Yeah, you know, that way might be the best way to do things. And you, you pull back and, and, and you actually help that other person and yield to them and their idea or that option. Rehoboam wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't going to yield to the godly advice of his father's counselors. But Proverbs 12:15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. I think you should ask yourself this question every day. Am I being unreasonable? 
before I make an important decision, what I try to do, I always try to do three things. I, I pray, I talk to my wife, and I talk to my mentors. And I always want God's wisdom and God's direction, so I'm going to pray first. I never want to make any decision without the support of my wife because she sees things that I can't see and she has insight that I can't have. And then I've always wanted the men who speak into my life to have a chance to give good, solid, godly wisdom. Notice what I don't do is go to my friends. Like, I might go to them sometimes, but if I share something with them, it's after all three of those people have spoken into my life first. Like, you need people in your life who can help you decide when to yield. And so the wise have a pure heart. They love peace. They consider others. They're willing to yield, or, or we might even say surrender. And then they, they minimize the mistakes of others. James says godly wisdom is full of mercy and the fruit of good works or good deeds. Good works are linked with showing mercy. It may be horrible what someone did to you, and you may be in the, the right to avenge that pain, but showing mercy means you let it go. Earlier in James chapter 2, he says to, to watch what you say and do. Why? Because you're going to be judged by the same measure you dish it out. Look at verse 13. There'll be no mercy for those who not show mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What you throw at others is going to come back at you. It's that reap what you sow principle. And what we have to learn, not just really in, in, in James, but elsewhere in Scripture, is that mercy always triumphs over judgment. I would much rather be merciful than judgmental. I'd much rather stand before God having loved too much and shown too much grace for too long than to be judged for being too harsh. If you can get to a place where you stop bringing up mistakes, the past, whatever it is, you know, if you can get to that place where you stop that, your life's going to be better. If you can minimize the other's actions and learn to forgive, you're going to be wiser for it. The sixth and final trait, the wise are authentic. So God's wisdom is always sincere. It's, it's subjective. It's impartial. In fact, that word impartial and sincere, they both come from the same Greek word. It's, it's hypocrite. Hypocrite isn't just a word we use, it's actually a character. Actors in ancient Greece, they would take on multiple roles and wear a mask for each different role they were playing. You know, all throughout the New Testament, we, we read, don't live like that, right? Don't be the same person. But we certainly see folks in our world who wear different masks all the time, don't we? You know, we're, we're one person on social media, but we're another person at home. We've got one mask we'll wear at work and one that we'll wear around the guys or when we're at church or with family or whatever. You have to be careful um, what you put on over your heart, man. Don't wear a mask that covers up who you are and your very soul. If you know that you're not showing the real you around people, if you know that they don't truly know you, you should be careful because you may not be in a safe place. You got to watch how, how alone you get with your own thoughts. Some of us, we need to watch it more than others. You know, some of you guys, you tell everything to a couple of key people and you don't bottle things up and, 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 and oh, okay, that's good. But others of you walk a pretty dangerous line. Like you bottle everything up, you keep everything in and you say, well, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm all right. You know, uh, you, you, you put that mask on. Listen, you don't have to tell dozens of people, but you got to tell somebody. Don't hide what's going on from everyone because those emotions can betray you. In your quest to handle things on your own, to keep people at a distance, you know, you'll act in a foolish manner instead of with the wisdom that God wants for you. Six traits of godly wisdom from James 3.17 that Rehoboam surely could have benefited from. 
His foolishness ripped a kingdom apart. It produced conflict that lasted generations between both those kingdoms. But wisdom which comes from God produces something Rehoboam was unable to attain. Why does God want us to be wise? Well, James actually gives you the answer in the very next verse, in verse number 18. He says this, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I believe one of the reasons God wants to impart wisdom in you is so you can be a peacemaker. The Greek word for peacemaker refers to somebody who brings national tranquility. You're sowing or planting peace in the hearts of others every time you step outside that door. And that peace is one day going to produce a harvest of godly living and the lives of people you touch. Rehoboam was looking to the wrong people to solve his problems. Thousands of years later, with all the progress and technology and the resources, I don't think humanity is any different. Many of us are still walking in those same footsteps that he walked in, making the same foolish mistakes by looking in the wrong places for wisdom. You know, the church is supposed to embrace this role of peacemaker. We're to allow God to make us wise, to transform our hearts and our lives so we can plant seeds of righteousness, of godliness, of good living in other people so they too can change and in the course, a nation can change. I love America, man. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world, but if you think we can change our country's direction with earthly wisdom and, and, and earthly means, you're mistaken. This ship is not going to turn because of a politician or a court decision or some laws. It's going to turn if we live godly lives full of the Lord's wisdom with influences and impacts that reach other people. So maybe you're watching or listening right now and you say, Pastor, I, I don't really think I can do that. I mean, like, I wouldn't call myself you know, pure exactly. I don't meet some of the other traits you talked about. I definitely would say that I'm not a peacemaker, you know. Uh, well, we can fix that. Let God change you. Oh, I, in fact, I want to lead you in a prayer in, in a moment to make Christ your Lord and Savior if you're ready for that. And then I'm going to pray for those of you who are Christians that you'll apply these traits to your life and live a life full of godly wisdom. So if you're watching or listening right now and say, Pastor, I, I, I want that peacemaker mentality. I want to be someone who is pure in heart and has that, that, that wisdom. Then the first step for us to take is to make Christ Lord and Savior of our lives. I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to repeat it after me. You can do it out loud if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, I want you to kind of say it in your own words as well. I mean, you can't repeat word for word, but I'd rather have you say it from the heart. But it's going to go like this, okay? It's going to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me for the wrong that I've done. I, I've not lived up to your standards, and I realize today that I can't save myself. I need you to be my Savior today. I need you to forgive me for my sin, to cleanse me of my wrong. I need you to give me a brand new start in my life. We talked about purity. God, I'm not pure. My life's not pure. My heart's not pure. So Jesus, make me pure in your sight. Give me a new start. I want you to save me today. And, and I'm not going to do my own thing anymore. I, I've kind of lived that way. I've seen where it's gotten me. It's not working out. I don't think it's wise to live the way that I'm living. And so from this day forward, I want to make you Lord of my life. Can you lead me? Will you direct me and guide me? And I will do what I can. I'm going to do everything I can, God, to follow and obey you from this day forward. And Lord, when I mess it up, I'm going to come right back to you and I'm going to ask for forgiveness again because I don't want to go back to the way I was living. I want to live for you. Lead me and guide me in your ways, Father, we pray. 
be Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, for all the Christians who are out there watching and listening, and they're saying, there's some things I'm not measuring up to in this talk here today. I don't have some of these traits of wisdom. Lord, will you help us to exhibit every one of these traits that James lays out? May we not walk in the footsteps of Rehoboam. I pray that we seek godly wisdom and counsel. I pray, God, that we are able to live lives full of God's wisdom and grace so that we can impact and touch and reach people for you everywhere we go. Lord, as we begin to live for you and live out your wisdom, and impacts other folks, and we become these peacemakers that plant seeds of righteousness. Lord, may you just change whole nations, whole cultures around this world, I pray. Help us to be the peacemakers we are destined to be. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com. Or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.